Good morning. When most market analysts talk about timing the market, their opinions are based on calculations made only on the price axis of the market. Although price action is, uh, can give important clues as to when a market is likely to top or bottom, a more accurate assessment can be made by also projecting and calculating from the time axis of the market. Synchronicity is defined as meaningful coincidence. What we do at synchronicity is define the important highs and lows in a particular market and then run our projections and calculations using the ratios derived from the Fibonacci number series. We do this both on the price axis and the time axis. When we see a coincidence of either time or price parameters coming together, we identify a potential turning point in a market and a relatively low risk trade setup. A coincidence of price parameters or time parameters by themselves will identify an opportunity in the market. However, when we see trading parameters on both the time and price axis come together at the same time, we're looking at our highest probability, lowest risk trade setups in the marketplace. Following examples will help to illustrate the value of this methodology. Now, how many people are familiar with using uh, Fibonacci retracements? Okay. How about adding the price extension levels? Okay, and how about price projection levels? Okay. Uh, a lot of people do just use the simple retracement levels, um, but they don't add the additional projections, which can give you some phenomenal price clusters in the market. If you just learn how to do the price clusters, uh, you have a method, you know, right there. In this first example, this is the NASDAQ Composite Index on a, on a daily chart. Is there anything that you could see in this chart that would tell you that the May 1st high was more important? Okay, you can flip. You want me to flip it? <laughs> okay, well. Okay, what we want to know as traders is what would have told us that this high was more important. So the first thing that we look at um, was the price axis of the market. In this example, I came up with the coincidence of at least five price relationships between, looks like 39.54 to the 40.53 area. The actual high was made directly within this price cluster at 39.82. Next one. As far as timing is concerned, we were looking at uh, a healthy confluence of time relationships also between April 28th through May 2nd. These timing parameters along with the key price relationships suggested a potentially important high in this index. A healthy sell-off followed that took us from the 39.82.38 high to 30.42.66, which was made on May 24th. Now this May 24th low just happened to be made in another key time cycle period. I don't expect any of this to make sense to you just yet, but by the end of the presentation, you should be able to do this by yourselves. <laughs> Is everybody familiar with the number series? 
besides the ratios. Okay, simply, you know, for anyone who's not, the, uh, the number series starts with zero and one and continues to infinity by adding the previous two numbers of the series. Uh, for example, three plus five is eight, eight plus 13 is 21, 21 and 34 is 55. And what they found was that the uh, golden ratio, or 618, was in between these numbers. And what I mean by that is uh, 13 times 0.618 is essentially 21. 89 times 618, uh, or 1618, is uh, 144, and so on. That's one of the main ratios that we use for the retracements, uh, but you have quite a few other ratios that come from that. Okay, the main FIB ratios that we use in our analysis are 0 0.382, 50%, 618, 786, or the square root of 618. A lot of people are not familiar with that one. 1.272, or the square root of 1618, and 1618. These ratios will all derive from the Fibonacci number series. That one is. There are a few slides, though, that, I, that I've done of recent markets throughout the presentation. Um, and if you're interested in seeing them, if they're not in the book, I can email you the PowerPoint presentation. Well, all of these should be in the book. These are. Um, but as far as some of, the, some of the examples in the market are not in the book, because they're recent, they're more recent. Okay, what's most important about the Fibonacci ratios that we use is that they continue to show up in both nature and the marketplace. Um, if you're interested in learning more about where they show up, you should, I don't think you can see this website, can you? Um, there is the website that is listed within the book. It's worth looking at this one in particular. That's one of my favorites. But um, you can just go to Yahoo, type in Fibonacci, and you'll come up with about you know, 20 sites at least. Excuse me. Um, it's in the. It is one of the Fibonacci um, the web pages from um, from the Yahoo search engine, and it, it should be in your book. Yeah, it's from some uh, um, some university in London or something like that. Yeah, you should be able to get it through the book. All right, let's start with how we use the ratios on the price axis of the market. We do three different types of calculations. We do retracement, retracements, price extensions, and also price projections or objectives. These levels are calculated to project potential support and resistance. We're gonna go over the basic math for this, but really um, what you're gonna be doing is using some sort of program I use the uh, Dynamic Trader. I also use the, uh, the GET program. And you can also get uh, most of the retracement ratios on um, QCharts through Quotecom. You can actually put in those extra ratios, you know, the 786 and the 1.272. The only thing that that program is not helpful with is the price projections. You, ac you actually have to clone a line in that program, so you can only get the 100% price projection using that program. But um, the Dynamic Trader program, which I've been using for years, does 
pretty much everything that I need. Okay, so for a retracement, we're taking a previous high to low or, lo or low to high. We are measuring the range and then multiplying by the appropriate ratio. If we're retracing an uptrending move, a low to a high, we would then subtract the results of the previous exercise from the high, from the high price to determine our retracement levels. If you're coming from um, a low, you're retracing a high to a low, you're going to add the results to the low of the move. Okay, now running uh, these ratios, you now have four areas of potential support if you're using 0 0.382, 50%, 618, and 786. So the question always is, which of these ratios do you want to trade against? You don't want to have to say, well, I'm going to buy at 382, and if I get stopped out, I'll buy at 50%. If I get stopped out, you, you know, you don't want to do that. So there's three different ways that we qualify which levels to use. Um, the first way and the most powerful way, I believe, is through price clusters. Price cluster, the definition is the coincidence of at least three or more price relationships that come together within a relatively tight range. The second way that I qualify it is um, with time and price coordination. Um, actually, there's a really good example in the 10-year Treasury note right now. If you look at um, a last swing low to swing high, what we did was we retraced 618 in price at the same exact time that we hit 618 in time of the same swing. Now that's actually called a time and price squaring, but that also tells you that that's the ratio that you want to trade against because you hit timing at the same time that you hit price. Okay. Um, the third way that you can use these ratios is you can, for example, figure out your levels on a daily chart and then go down to a 60-minute or even down as low as a 5-minute to trigger. On the lower time frame, you can either trigger by doing, um, you can use moving averages if you want, or you can just do something as simple as uh, it needs to take out a prior swing low on a 5-minute chart or, or a prior swing high, depending on which way you're going. Okay, now we're just going to go over the math. Again, I don't really expect anybody to um, you know, need to do this by hand, but just so you understand where it's coming from. Uh, first example is the NASDAQ Composite Index. What we did in this case is we took the May 24th low to the July 17th high, which was 1246.40 points. We multiplied this range by the appropriate ratio, which in this case was 618. And that equaled 770.27 points. We subtracted that result from the most recent high to come up with the 618 price retracement. So you took the uh, 4289 minus 770, which uh, came out to 3518.79. This became your potential support zone. And in this case, 3521 was the actual low. So, you know, if you're, if you're trading against the composite or, you know, this is something that you would want to know. This is a case where you could go down to, you know, your 60-minute chart and take a trigger off of that, and it would have been worth some money. Okay, the, um, the second way we look at the price relationships, we look at price extensions. 
extensions are essentially retracements beyond 100%. You're doing the exact same math that you did for the um, retracements. You're measuring the range of the high to the low. You're multiplying it by the appropriate ratios. Um, in this case, we use 1.272 and 1.618 uh, often. And occasionally, we will use 2.618. So again, here you want to find the range of the previous swing by subtracting the low price from the high price. You want to multiply this range by the appropriate ratios, and then add the result to the low if you're running an extension from a previous high to low, and subtract the result from the high if you're running an extension from a low to a high. Okay, in this example, I took the July 6th low to the July 17th high. That range was 468 points. I multiplied this range by the appropriate ratio, and in, the, in this example I used 1.618, and that equaled 758.39. I subtracted that result from this high to get 353067 as the 1618 price extension. The actual low in this case was made at um, well. The low was made at 35.21. What did I say the extension was? Um, 35.30. Okay. Not perfect, but pretty close. <laughs> okay. The last type of calculation we make is called either a price projection or a price objective, and it's figured from three points rather than two. The ratios typically used for projections are 0.618, 100%, and 1.618. Occasionally, if it's a rather large range, I might throw in 0.786 and 1272. Again, we want to measure the range of the swing to be projected. We want to multiply by the appropriate ratios. And then we want to add or subtract the result to the third point, which is either a corrective high or low. For example, if you projected range AB, you would add or subtract the result from point C. Now, you're not going to have every single um, slide that I have here um, in, your, in your booklets, but if you are interested in, in um, getting a copy of the PowerPoint presentation, you know, I'd be happy to email it to you. Okay, so here's the example of the price projection. In this case, I took the March 24th high to the April 4th low, and that was 1429 points. Now, typically, you multiply this by the appropriate ratio, but in this case, I was doing a 100% price projection. So you just took the same amount of 1429 points, and we subtracted it from the next swing high, which was made on April 10th. And that gave you 30.45.45 as the 100% price projection. Now, in this case, the actual low was made at 30.42.66. Again, extremely close and you know well worth knowing. <laughs> okay. 
this is actually uh, a cheat sheet that I've got in your booklet. Um, it's just going to show you which ratios to use for each of the, um, you know, the, the price calculations. So you can you can um, go and refer to this or hang it up on your wall until it becomes second nature. Okay. All right. Now I'm going to go into some actual examples of price clusters. Um, a lot of these were done in the 30-year uh, Treasury bond market. Okay, again, definition of a price cluster is at least three or more price relationships that come together within a relatively tight range. And you can use these to trade against without using anything else, if you like. In this example, it looks like from the August 13th low to the January 12th high, I had a 382 retracement. And then from the October 17th low to the Jan 12th high, I had a 50% retracement. And then I also took the July 31st high back here to the August 13th low and projected 100% from the high. Okay, and that gave me a price cluster between 119.08 to 15. You know, if you saw the market coming straight down into this zone, um, you know, if you wanted to close your eyes and just buy against the cluster and put a stop underneath there, you know, that's okay. Um, typically, I like to wait for the market to at least stall at one of these zones or give a trigger on a shorter time frame before entering. The actual low in this case was made at 119.16 and the initial rally took you to 122. Your risk was probably no more than five to eight ticks in the bond market. Okay, another example in the bond market. This is a daily chart again. If you took this Jan 12th high to the March 6th low, we had a 618 retracement come in right here. If you took the Feb 18th high to the March 6th low, you had a 786 retracement come in there. And then if you took the prior low to high and projected 100% from this low, you came up with a cluster between 121.19 to 24. In this case, the high was made at 121.22. You had an immediate sell-off down to the 120 handle, a retest of the cluster, and another failure that took you down to 119. So as long as this cluster was not taken out, it was considered important. So as long as it's not surpassed, you know, I leave all this work on my charts. Now, if it was surpassed, that would be an alternate buy signal to me. Now, the, the minimum you want to look for is, is three price relationships, but you really want to pay attention when you start seeing five, six, and seven price relationships come together in a really tight range. This has happened quite a bit, actually, if you look at um, NASDAQ futures and, and also in the S&P futures recently. So in this case, I had about um, five price relationships from prior swing highs to lows, probably this high to this low low to high, projected from this low, high to low extended, high to low extended, low high, projected from that low. Anyway, had a um, cluster between 121.06 to 16. That's a, it might be a little bit wide. If you were going to do a trade against it, you might want to wait for um, confirmation on the shorter time frame or, you know, moving average crossover, whatever you're, you're comfortable with. And then you can take that trade. And your maximum risk is going to be above the top of the cluster, and your minimum risk would be 
um, just above the high made before you get a reversal signal if you're using an alternate method. Now I wanted to show you an example where essentially, you know, it didn't work. I mean, initially you did have a little bit of a sell-off from this zone, you know, where this, where this high was made and we came off slightly from that area. But when the market came back through this cluster, you know, it told you something about the market. It told you that, you know, the downturn is probably not going to resume and it's actually very bullish. When something like that happens, I typically do not buy the breakout, but what I do is I look to buy the next pullback. I will start working all the price parameters and set up the buy side after this. Okay. All right, here's a more recent example. This one won't be in your book, um, but this is a daily chart of the soybeans. In this example, I had um, four price relationships between 480 and a half to 484. And I had a retracement of this low to this high. I, I had a price extension of this low to this high. I had taken this prior high to this low and projected from this high 100%. And then also there was another swing I had to play with. I took this prior high to low and projected from this high. And this gave me those four levels right in there. So the initial, um, the initial low was made into this cluster at 482. And it was a little bit scary because the market was, you know, coming straight down. So I waited one more day and on a, on a pullback to this zone and a failure to get down below it um, was a buyer with the initial risk just below the low end of the cluster. Anybody trade down to a two-minute chart? <laughs> okay, well, anyway, it works on all time frames. So you can, you know, you can use it on your daily charts, your weekly charts, your 60 minutes, and, and your two minutes. I mean, obviously, the setups that you get on a daily chart are going to be worth more money because, you know, they have a chance to give you a bigger move. 60 minutes, I think, are great. Um, but I know that there's a lot of um, trading junkies that like to go down to a two-minute chart and they want to be in the market, you know, all day long and, you know, in and out 10 times. So I did this one for them. Okay, in this example, this was a two-minute chart of the NASDAQ futures. I actually had six Fibonacci price relationships between 36.97 to 37.02. Whoops, you're on the wrong. Okay. So one, two, three, you know, you can't see when these lines overlap, you know, you've got a, a good cluster. You can't even read the lines, so. Anyway, so the rec was to uh, sell on a failure against this zone with the risk defined just above it. And you actually had a rather dramatic move off of this setup on a two-minute chart. This one's not because it's recent, um, but it is in the PowerPoint you know, presentation if you, want, if you want to get a copy of that. Okay, here's actually that um, soybean example, you know, when I ran into resistance after that first buy cluster. This is on a 30-minute chart, and what I had was coincidence of four price relationships between 502 and a quarter and 502 and three quarters. I know I had, and, and you know, soon you'll be able to just eyeball these retracement zones. So I know this high to low, this had to be a 618 retracement. This high to low, this had to be a 786 retracement. 
I also took this high to this low and extended it 1.272. And then I also took this prior low to this high and projected it 100% and came up with those four levels. Now, since, you know, I was long from that other trade and it was going up into a price cluster, that's when I said, you know what, if it doesn't get through, I'm just ditching it. But, um, you know, if it did, that would tell me that I was more likely to get my higher price objectives. This is also a recent example on a 60-minute chart in the um, NASDAQ futures. Again, all I was doing here is, um, you know, setting up all the retracements. And what really stood out here was that all these prior corrective rallies were very similar before you had a, an important failure in this market. So what I did besides doing, you know, all the highs to lows was I took all these prior corrective rallies, measured them 100%, projected them from this low. You know, measured 100%, projected it from this low, okay? ended up having a uh, price cluster zone between 37.76 to 95. The high was made at 37.80, and you had, you know, a really solid failure from there. You know, when you came up into the zone, you're saying, okay, you know, it's either going to make it or break it. You can just sell against it, or you can wait for it to take out the low of a prior bar or, you know, whatever other method you want to use but your initial risk is going to be above the price cluster zone, okay? Now, this was actually a great trade with very little pain if you got short, uh, but then when we got to the flip side of it, I did have a really solid cluster on the other side at 35, 25 to 30. Now, in this case, you know, it went through it. So if, if you closed your eyes and bought it, because you see you, you did have a little bit of a bounce off of there, you would have been stopped, stopped out with, you know, a relatively small loss. But this also makes a point about um, setting up this stuff in the direction of the main trend. So obviously, you know, this market's going lower. Do you necessarily want to buy the clusters? Not really. The odds are much lower on that side. You might want to look at the, the clusters on the opposite side to look to take some profits. Um, but what you really want to do and which, what really gives you about um, you know, 65, 70% odds on the price clusters is if you do them within the direction of the main trend or the, you know, the trend that you're trading. Okay, here's a recent example in the S&P. This was done on a 60-minute chart. Again, you know, all I would do is take the key highs and lows that were obvious, and I would run retracement of this high to this low, um, this high to this low. I would take the prior corrective rallies, measure them 100%, project it from the low. In this case, I had at least four key FIB relationships between 1481 to 1484.10. Um, the high in this case was made at 1482.80. You know, it's extremely well defined when you get a cluster like that. You know, if, if, you, if you fail to get through it, you want to be a seller. If you break out above it, I wouldn't necessarily want to be a breakout buyer. What I would want to do is then look to set up FIB levels on the other side and buy the next pullback. I just don't like breakout trading. I think that, you know, you get hurt more often than not. Okay, this is another example in the S&P. Again, I, I like the 60-minute charts. Um, a lot of times uh, when I do my 
my end of day commentary, I will use the 60 minute chart to illustrate what's going on. Um, here we were looking at the coincidence of at least seven key price relationships between 151380 to 151870. Now, if you're trading, you know, big S&Ps or a lot of size, you know, that's a rather wide zone. So in this case, rather than just, you know, selling against the cluster, you might have wanted to, you know, wait for a sell trigger. Like, let's say, for example, uh, the sell trigger would have been a move below this prior low. And then your risk would be defined just above the high that was made before that reversal signal, you know, if you didn't want to risk above the cluster at that point. Okay, this is, uh, this is a very recent setup that we had in the uh, NASDAQ futures. Again, we had coincidence of six to seven price relationships. It was really strong. This is when I get really excited and I start calling everybody or instant messaging them and like, you know, look at this one. This looks really good. You know, at a minimum, it's a very important decision because there were that many price relationships there. Um, those levels came in between 35.30 to 59. And in this case, the actual high was made at 35.38. Now, what was interesting about this setup was that at the same time, we had some timing parameters in here. If you look at, you know, here, the software will label the time of the bars and the prior corrections. So here we've got most of the prior rallies lasting only seven to eight trading bars, and most of them seven, okay? There was one corrective rally that lasted 15 bars. I just kind of ignored that for, you know. So what I did was I, I counted from this low, and um, we hit the price cluster seven bars up from the low. So to me, that strengthened the fact that this was a very important decision in the market because you had symmetry in time with the prior corrective rallies also. So you're hitting major price resistance, and you're hitting some time resistance to the rally. It was going to make a decision here. If you got a sell signal, you had to take it. If you wanted to sell against the cluster and risk above it, you know, just do it. So even though um, at one point it was looking like you only had a minor sell-off and maybe it was going to break out above it, this was a really key high. And as long as price remained below it, you know, I was telling people that you have to be a seller. And you've had, you, you had a nice sell-off from there. You know, you know how much this is worth if, you know, if you're trading NASDAQ futures. And um, actually, it went even much lower than that. You know, if you get in, you can get in on some of these um, cluster trades with very, very low risk. And they can take you real far if you, you know, if you use the money management where, uh, you know, you might book profits on some, but, uh, you know, just use a trailing stop on the balance. All right, I'm going to go into um, timing using these same ratios. Okay, this is um, a simple example of a time cycle projection. You know, what I'm doing with the ratios to project um, time windows for potential highs and lows in this market is I'm taking prior lows to lows or highs to highs or highs to lows and measuring the time of those swings and then projecting forward in time with the ratios. Now, again, you're going to have numbers all over the place. You know, if you run this high to high and you run all the ratios and this and that, you're only going to use what's currently coming up, you know, in the market. I mean, any, anything back here is not going to count. 
um, and you're also going to look for the clustering again. Uh, for example, uh, anyone who's interested, I'll show you later, I had um, two standout time windows using these cycles for potential low in the NASDAQ. Um, and the first one came in October 10th through 12th, and the second one comes in October 18th through the 20th. So, so far, basis the futures, I know we made the low on the 12th. Um, basis the composite, uh, I think we made the low on the 13th, but that's still considered to be within the time window. So now what I'm looking at is what's going to confirm that that low might be important. And that we're, we're going to go into a little bit when I finish this up. Okay, so here, um, for example, I just took March 6th low to the April 29th low, and the computer, you know, counted the bars in between here, multiplied, and projected all the ratios for me. All right, this is an example of a, um, of a time cluster. This is a daily chart of the Treasury bonds a while back. Um, in this case, what I had was, uh, looks like the April 30th low to the June 16th high. 100% forward in time came in on July 31st. And then I took the April 3rd high to that June 16th high. And 618 forward in time came in on July 30th. And then I had the June 16th high to the July 2nd high. 1618 forward in time came in on July 30th. So again, that was a time cluster. Okay, at least three time relationships coming together within a relatively tight range between July 30th and 31st. Now, when you're looking at time cycles, you're looking at about 70% odds of at least a short-term low and reversal or a short-term you know, change in trend. So if you are trading down into a time window, you're going to look for a potential low and upside reversal. But if you're trading up into a time window, you, you're going to look for a potential high and downside reversal. So at this point, market's trading down, overall trend is up. So we're saying, hey, well, maybe this uh, will be where the sell-off terminates. You know, and that's the way we have to think. You're looking to see if you get any, um, any price work that coordinates with um, this time window. Or if you don't see price come together with it, um, you can look for an alternate buy trigger against it. I believe there was uh, some sort of reversal day. Um, here you crossed one of those very short-term moving averages. You could have used that as your, you know, your entry trigger. And then what you would have done was um, place the stop underneath the low that was made before the reversal signal was seen. And you had a, you know, you had a pretty healthy rally from that low. The low was made on July 30th, so that was directly within that time window. And uh, you saw a rally to the 124 handle relatively quickly. Okay, this is just another time example in the bond market. Here, I actually had the coincidence of one, two, three, four, five, six time relationships between March 3rd through March 5th. Okay, and they were, you know, very obvious and very clear. Um, I wanted to show you an example that wasn't exactly perfect, you know, so you know that even if it's off a day or so that, you know, this work still has value. In this case, what happened was we, um, you know, traded down into March 4th, 5th, but the actual low was made on March 6th, and that was a solid low, made at 118, and you got just short of the 122 handle within about a week and a half after that. So 
So plus or minus a day of the cycles is considered to be within a time window for a change in trend. You just know if you have such a large cluster of timing relationships that there's you know, pretty good odds that you're going to see at least a short-term low. Now, if you don't, you, know, you may get an acceleration instead in the direction of the, you know, the current trend. Um, this is actually the, um, the same bond contract. Okay? What was interesting is <laughs> if you looked at the, um, the price axis of the market as we were moving into this time window, you also would have known that there was a healthy uh, price cluster zone below the market between 117.28 to 118.11 as you're moving into this window. You know, that's another reason why you would say, well, you know, we went past the time window and there's no low. You know, that doesn't mean that it's over. What happened in this case was that you, you know, you made the low one day after the, you know, the, the March 5th time cycle and uh, on March 6th, and you made it into that price cluster zone. The actual low was made at 118.10. This is just another example of, of the time clustering using timelines. Um, when I'm using the timelines, I'm projecting trading days in this particular program. Um, when I'm using some of the other routines and, and uh, time histograms, that's actually using calendar days. I believe that trading days are more accurate. I like to use those for you know the, all my work on the, on the daily charts. But I also do like to project the calendar days and then kind of check them against each other. They're usually only a couple of days apart. Um, but it's worth knowing both. And then it's worth qualifying it by price to tell you, you know, whether the, the time window is going to be valuable or not. Again, we had one, two, three, four, five. I had at least six time relationships between January 12th and January uh, 14th in the bond. And the actual high was made on January 12th. And I believe that ended up being a, a rather important high in the, in the bigger picture. Yeah. All right, this is um, another example, um, a, a more recent example. This was uh, where I did my timing work on the composite index. And you'll see all the timelines across here. I had um, one, two, three, four. It looks like the coincidence of at least um, now five time relationships between August 28th through September 1st. Okay, so as the market was rallying into this time window, we're saying, okay, um, you know, this is time resistance to the rally. So if you're long, you know, and everybody's all excited, and you know, market's going to go to new highs again and everything else, but we knew that there was time resistance here. So what we did is. We did go, we did not see any price relationships that stopped this rally, but we did not, um, we were not able to get through the time resistance to this rally. So once a high was made and we saw reversal indications against it, we knew that this high was qualified by time and that it was a potentially a more important high. So in, you know, in my daily commentary, you know, basically people that were long, I started setting up the area that would take them out of the market and, and then also reverse to a short. And that was against this time window. 
this is the last example. Um, what I was saying was that when time and price come together at the same time, that you have the highest probability trade setups. Um, you could probably say it's more like 75%, uh, maybe even 80% odds that you will see at least a short-term change in trend when you have both time and price coming together. And even if it, if it doesn't happen, you, your parameters are extremely well-defined. In this example, I took the June 13th low to the September 6th low and projected forward. Came out with a 1618 um, time relationship on January 29th. I took the September 6th low to the December 3rd high. 618 forward in time came in on J January 29th. I took the December 3rd high to the December 30th high and projected it 100% in time forward. That came in on Jan 27th. And then I did one of those, um, I don't know if anyone's familiar with, I think it was a Larry Williams technique uh, as far as timing, taking a prior high to high and then measuring 1.272 from the intervening low, or something like that. Anyway, that's, that's what we did here. I mean, that's, that's part of the, the you know, general projections. I took the August 13th high to the December 3rd high and projected from the intervening low on September 6th, and that came out to January 31st. So here I had four time relationships between January 27th through January 31st. The market was trading down into them, so I'm going to look for a potential low and upside reversal. So we had the time axis of the market all set up. And then at the same time that we were moving into that time window, we had a nice price cluster zone developing. We had retracements of this low to this high, this low to this high, um, this high to this low projected from this high, had a little price extension of this low to this high, came up with a price cluster between 109.08 to 22. Actual low in this case was made at 109.14. And it was made on January 29th, directly within that time window, directly within that um, price cluster. To me, this is an ideal trade. This is something that you know I would do all day long, and that's essentially what I look for. But you know, also use the other parameters uh, by themselves. 